Acts chapter 6. We're going to do verses 1 through 7 today of Acts chapter 6. Verse 8 of Acts 6 starts a new story that takes us through the rest of 6 and all of chapter 7. So I want to make sure we can do that as one continuous subject there. But here in verses 1 through 7, you have a great balance of spiritual and practical when it comes to the church. And I absolutely love the first seven verses here of Acts chapter 6. I have read this and prayed over this and studied this probably more than most passages in the book of Acts. Because this is a great example of how the church is supposed to work and run. So as we go through this, you will see the spiritual side of things in the church, but you'll also see the practical side of things as well. So with that being said... Let's pray. Let's jump into this. Simple prayer, Lord. You wrote this through your spirit. We pray that you teach this through your spirit. Um, Open our eyes and ears and just help us to understand what you have to say. And once again, for those that couldn't be with us due to roads and traveling and sickness, pray your hand of safety and health to be upon them and ask that you'd bless everything going on in the back as well. In your name, amen. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now that sets the scene for what we're going on here. Here's the problem that the church is facing. First thing you see in verse 1, there is the number of disciples was multiplying. That's a good thing. You know, you want to have more people to hear about the Lord and hear about the gospel of Christ. Now we've said out here many times before, the focus of a church should never be numbers. Never. But at the same time, too, when God's blessing it, more people are coming, that's more opportunities to serve. That's more opportunities to work as a unit to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to hopefully reach the area in which we're in. So what a blessing that the church is multiplying. But wouldn't you know it, what happens as the church grows? There arose a complaint. Have you guys ever been in a church where somebody complained? I've never seen that. Never seen a church complain about anything. 2,000 years ago, the church is complaining. Complaining. Not just complaining, depending on your translations. One translation says the rumbling of discontent. Another translation says murmuring. Murmuring. That word means secret displeasure, not voiced. Murmuring means I'll tell you, but I'm not going to go tell them. And you and I will have a little conversation about it. Murmuring. We'll keep our voices down. We don't want to make a big deal out of it. And when we go talk about it, we use ambiguous third party. Well, somebody I know was upset about this. Murmuring. This was happening thousands of years ago in the church. Here's the thing about church and problems. I heard a pastor teach on this one time. He says there's big church problems. He says there's little church problems. Every church has problems. You can have a congregation of ten people, and you will find something to argue and be divided about. You can have a congregation of 10,000 people and you'll find something to argue and be divided about. Part of being a church, part of being a group of believers is finding a way to work through areas of division and problems. Now, the focus of the message is not that, but I have to share this one verse with you real quick. You don't need to turn there. Proverbs 20, verse 3. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. I love that. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. So you're right now in an argument with somebody, and you're keeping that argument going. Good for you. The Bible says you're a fool. To be honorable in the Lord is means you're the one that steps up to the plate and says, I want this argument to be over. I want to finish this. I want peace. The fool keeps it going. So here in the early church, there's this murmuring, this discontent, there's this complaint, human nature. How are we going to handle this? Well, the problem is, this is a legitimate complaint. If you look here, 
The Greek, that's what the Hellenists means. The Greek Jews, excuse me, the Greek widows were not getting their food. There was this group of widows, and they had this food program started up. And there were some uh, Greek widows that were not getting their daily allotment of food. That's kind of a big deal. So what happens is they're complaining against the Hebrews, and so they're upset at this. And this is a legitimate problem. As the church is growing, there's all these widows that need to be taken care of, and so they're being neglected. Now, I think that's an important word there, is that they were neglected. This isn't purposeful. This isn't the church saying we want to purposely forget about these people. I tell you, neglect is going to happen. You know, Rich and I carry around in our, in our back pockets these little dollar calendars. And anytime someone comes up to me and says, hey, I got a doctor's appointment, or can you pray for this or pray for that? I will pull this out, I will write it down, and I will do my best to try to remember and pray for it. It is inevitable that I will neglect something. That's going to happen. It's inevitable, just like you are. Now, the question comes up when that idea is neglected, how do we handle that? See, so often we take things so personal. We take things as this personal affront against us, where the truth is that word neglect just means simply overlooked. They weren't trying to leave widows starving without food. They weren't. But there was a problem that had to be addressed. They had to look at it. There's a complaint. There's murmurings. There's discontent. What do we do? See, this is one of those transitional verses in the Bible, because here is a church problem. See, earlier in the book of Acts, the problems were outside. They're threatening our lives. They're telling us not to speak about Jesus. Okay, we can all get together, sing Kumbaya, and be one big group. Here, this is the church divided against itself. See, that's what Satan would love to do. If he can't knock you down from the outside, he's going to take you out from the inside. And that's exactly what you see trying to happen. So what happens? Verse 2. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The twelve get together. Please note church leadership. Church leadership is supposed to be a group of people that get together that have the same united focus in seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ spread. I don't understand where we have reached this point as a church where we feel church leadership is, it's the pastor. It's the pastor. No, it's not the pastor. The pastor is a certain gift, calling to hopefully oversee the congregation. And that's what hopefully my gift is, is a chance to pastor the church, to shepherd it. But there's a group of people that get together to say, what's the best decisions for the church? What you see here in the book of Acts is the twelve got together. And what do they do? They summon the multitude of the disciples. That means they literally, they called a meeting. They gathered the disciples. They got everybody together and they said, let's share the vision of what we're supposed to do as a church here. I remember years ago, there was somebody that used to come out to church that was ultra spiritual. More spiritual than any of us, more spiritual than all of us put together. And so what happened was they had an issue with something going on. I said, well, let's get a group together. Let's have a little meeting about this and talk about it. And they said, that's your problem right there. You're not willing just to seek the Lord. You want to get together and have a meeting. I said, well, that's what they did in Acts 6. They got together. They got together and had a meeting and shared the vision. And I would assume prayed over this. We know they prayed because it comes down to verses 6 and 7. That's what we're supposed to do is let's get together, get our focus on Jesus Christ, and have the same vision and share that vision. And that's exactly what the 12 did. They summoned the multitude together and they said, we're going to share the vision that the Lord has laid on our heart on how this church is supposed to be run. 
That's the way it's supposed to be. A group of people together with a similar focus for Jesus Christ. They get everybody together and they share the vision. What's the vision? Verse 2. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's an interesting verse. I want to read it to you real quick out of the New Living Translation. Because it kind of says that I think... A little funny in some ways. It says, The twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And I find that interesting. They're supposed to be teaching, not running a food program. This is where it gets interesting. Because what you start having here now, you have people in the church that have a spiritual focus, and you have people in the church that have a practical focus. And that's how the church is supposed to work. There's a spiritual focus... And there's a practical focus. What is happening in verse 2 is the 12 is saying our focus is spiritual. We're not going to leave the Word of God. Verse 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. But these seven men, they're going to have a practical focus. That word for serve that we just read is where we get our word deacon. That's what it means to serve. It comes from that word as a deacon. Spiritual focus, practical focus. My focus out here at Harvest Fellowship is spiritual. My responsibilities are to teach the Word of God. My responsibilities are, verse 4, continue be in prayer in the ministry of the Word. That is my responsibility. Does that mean that I'm above practical things? No. Because here's the problem. Don't overvalue one and don't undervalue another. That's what we tend to do. Oh, the spiritual. The spiritual, that's where it's all at. That's all that matters. 2,000 years ago, if you were the widow expecting food, do you want Peter to show up at your door and say, I'll pray for you? Or do you want your food showing up? You want the practical of the food. If your roof has a hole in it and it's leaking, and you call me up and say, I need a guy to come over and help me, and I say, sure, I'll pray about it, or do you want me to send somebody over to help you? You want the practical. I've tried doing the practical, and there's times that I can do the practical. I'm still young and dumb. i got a strong back. I can still move people. That's my practical. But I can remember years ago when I first started out here, I think it was in the first year of being a pastor, I went over to a lady's house. She asked me to come over and pray with her and her mom. And she was a little bit of an older woman, and she had her mother that was much older than her living with her. So we got together, we prayed, ministered, it was good. She goes, hey, while you're here, could you take a look at my hot water heater? It's leaking. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I went back there, walked around it, said I asked a few things, asked for a flashlight, just to act like I know what I'm doing, and got a flashlight, went home, and I think I called David Perry and said, can you go over and take care of this hot water heater? I'm not practical. You don't want me for practical. I remember when we started the car care ministry, the first car care ministry, and I can't remember when we first started it. It was, is Jason, are you in here? No, Jason's not in here. Probably 10, 13 years ago, we started the first car care ministry, and I think we had four cars come out, four cars. And I remember the first car care ministry, they let me go under the car. And I was allowed to I try to put the oil plug back in and type the oil plug back out. That was the first car care. Second car care ministry, they said, hey, why don't you drive the cars up the ramp and back them off? Okay, so that's great. And this is not exaggerating. Third car care ministry, can you check tire pressures for us? Fourth car care ministry, could you just hang out with the people that drop their cars off and just talk to them? Fifth car care ministry, James, I don't think we need you anymore. I'm not practical. I I remember the first car care ministry where I did not go, and it was a Saturday morning. I'm sitting in my office preparing the message for Sunday, thinking, oh, I should be there. I should be at that car care ministry. And I remember calling Jason up after it was done, saying, how did it go? He said, best one ever. (laughs) 
I'm not called to do that. I am not downplaying the practical. I'm not overplaying the spiritual. Because there's times in my life where, yes, I want people praying for me. Yes, I need encouragement from the Word. But I also need a practical hand. And what you see here in Acts 6 is the balance of spiritual and practical ministry. Don't overvalue one and don't undervalue another one. We need to see that. The spiritual focus, Word of God. The practical focus, serve tables. You know, out here on a typical Sunday, people come out and what do they mostly see? Not egotistically speaking, they mostly see me. You know, Renee couldn't make it this morning due to work, so I did the announcements. And so I'm doing the teaching here. And so people walk away from church and there's a lot of emphasis on the pastor. Somebody got out here at 7 o'clock in the morning. Turn the lights on, turn the heat on. The worship team got out here early to practice and play. Somebody's been outside at least twice now to clear off the snow off that area. Those are all practical ministries that are vital, absolutely vital. And we need to understand the balance of both. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, please? 1 Corinthians 12. We need to see how the body of Christ is supposed to work. 1 Corinthians 12. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, you have a great teaching by Paul where he talks about how the body is supposed to work. So let's go ahead and start this in uh, verse 4. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities. It is the same God who works all in all. Right? There are three important points. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit will give us all a gift. You have to remember with a gift. You know, we just celebrated Christmas a few weeks ago. You can make a list, you can ask for things, but ultimately the person buying you that gift is going to choose what they want you to have. So I can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to do this. God can say, great, but this is what I want you to do. He will gift me through the Spirit with what He wants me to do. There's differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Your focus may be different than my focus. Different types of ministry. My favorite thing about church is teaching. I love Sunday mornings. I love Wednesday evenings. I love the teaching aspect. Your ministry at church may be, I love going and serving the widows. Your ministry at church may be, I love being back in the nursery and just holding those little babies and praying for them. Different ministries, but they're all important. And look at verse 6. There's different activities. Coming up this Saturday, there's a veggie tale. I have five boys, eight and under. They will love that activity. They will enjoy that. They will have fun. Some of you don't have kids in that age group. That is an activity that you're not going to get anything out of. I have never been to ladies' Bible study, but I bet it's a blessing. And there's not many women that come to the Saturday morning men's prayer time. But that activity is a blessing to us. There are different activities. The problem what happens in a church is my gift should be your gift. We should all have the exact same gift. No. Ministry. We should all have the same ministry mindset. No. We should all do the same activity. No. There's different activities, ministries, and gifts, but it's the same God, the same Lord, and the same Spirit. We've got to remember that. Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So whatever gift you're blessed with will bless the body of Christ. That's the way it's supposed to work. And it goes through the different ones, which we'll get to here later on. But verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. God sees you. He says this is the best spot for you. He blesses you in that area. Verse 12. 
For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We all have different ministries, gifts, activities, but we are a body of Christ. Verses 14 through verse 22 goes on and starts saying, The ear can't tell the foot you're not important, and the foot can't tell the ear you're not important, and the ear can't say, I want to be a foot. You are what you are called to be, just as the body is what you are called to be. You may want or desire a gift, but you want the gift that God wants to give you. You may want to desire a ministry or activity, but you want the ministry and activities that are going to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and bless the body of Christ. This is how we come together. So there's a spiritual focus, and there's also a practical focus. Jump back now to Acts 6. So what the 12 are saying is, we're going to focus on the spiritual You guys focus on the serving, deacons, practical. Does that mean they don't overlap? No, of course not. My focus is spiritual, but if something practical pops up that I can help, then I want to help. And it goes the other way too. Someone's focus out here may be more of the practical, but that doesn't mean they can't pray for people. It doesn't mean that they can't further the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a balance to both. But sometimes there is a ministry focus. So the answer is, let these seven men be appointed. And verse 4, we're going to continually give ourselves to the you know, prayer and the ministry of the word. Look at the 7, verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procarius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Now I see a couple things here. Number one, I see the body serving the body. That's what it's supposed to be, is the body serves the body of Christ. If you put your attention on one person, you're going to be utterly disappointed. Let the body step in and help. I remember years ago, back to the whole spiritual and practical, there was a gal that was coming out to church. She's kind of a shy person, didn't really know a lot of people. She called me up and she said, I'm having car trouble. Can you come over and take a look at it for me? And I said, no, I can't because I don't know what I'm doing. I said, but I can call somebody who can come over and take a look at it. And she said, oh, no, 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 I want you. I said, you don't want me. Trust me, you don't want me. I don't know what I am doing. Let the body serve the body of Christ. Sometimes people come up and say, hey, do you mind sitting down and talking to me? And I'll say, sure. So we sit down, we find out what it is. And my first response is, you know what? I know somebody out here at church has been through this exact same situation, and they could really be a blessing to you. Oh, I don't want to talk to them. I don't know them. I feel more comfortable with you. But I'm not the one that can bless you. Let somebody else come up and bless you because they've been through this. Let the body serve the body of Christ. These seven guys the Lord raised up to serve the church. Deacons to serve. Let them be a blessing. So you may not have the title of deacon, but you're still called to serve. There's a little saying we like to use called, Every member is a minister. Because the word ministry just means to serve. We're all called to serve. What's the result of this? Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. It blessed the church. It blessed the church so much. Because the church was taking care of the church. So what happens, verse 6, when they sit before the apostles, when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. See, you see a, a final exclamation point to this ministry. We're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray. This idea of laying hands on shows a oneness. Shows this idea of being together as one. A lot of times if someone says, will you pray for me? I'll say, hey, do you care if I put my hand on your shoulder? I want to be one with this in prayer. And so that's what it is. This oneness and prayer. They laid hands on them. They prayed over them. And guess what happened? Verse 7. The word of God spread. 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. When the church does what the church is supposed to do, it's a blessing. It is a blessing. The word of God spread, verse 7, the amount of disciples multiplied. You let the spiritual focus on the spiritual. You let the practical focus on the practical. The body of Christ got the vision. There's a oneness in prayer and ministry. The result, God's word spread. The disciples grew. Oh, what a wonderful thing. This is how the church is supposed to work. This is the focus of it. Now the question comes up, how do we do this? How do we focus on the spiritual? How do we focus on the practical? What am I called to do? You know, we just studied there in Corinthians about this idea of how everybody has a gift. Everybody has been blessed with something where God has called you to serve. And the question is, where are you supposed to serve now? What has God called you to do? And that's what we kind of have to stop and see. Lord, what have you called us to do? Turn if you will with me to uh, Romans, please. It's going to be Romans chapter 12. I think it's important for us as believers to stop and say, Lord, where am I called to serve? Now, we don't bring up service with this idea of, hey, this is where we need help. We used to do that. It doesn't work. This is what I do now. If I feel that the Lord has laid somebody on my heart, and I feel like they could really be a blessing in the body of Christ, I generally just contact them and very generically say, pray. Just pray. See where the Lord has called you. Now, sometimes this person will contact back and say, well, where do you think the Lord has called me? I can't answer that. Because what happens is, is I start thinking, your personality works great with this. Your gift will work great with this. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Now, sometimes it's a little more obvious. And sometimes I'll say, here's a position. Here's an area of need. And it really looks like this is your calling. Pray about it. We'll do that sometimes. But a lot of times it's more just generic. So you seek the Lord. You see what the Lord has laid on your heart. Then come back to us. And let's make this work now in the big puzzle piece of the church. Because we just read in Corinthians, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift. It is a promise to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit. You have a gift. What gift do you have? Let's find out. Romans 12, please. Let's start in verse 4. A little bit of review. For as we have members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. We just talked about that in Corinthians. Different activities, different ministries, different gifts. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I'm an individual in the body, but yet I'm also part of the body. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. See that word grace in verse 6 is actually the same word gift in Corinthians. When you are given a gift, you're actually given grace. It's something special that you have not deserved or earned and God has given you. That's the gift. See, so often we look at gifts of Oh, I have earned this, or my personality has benefited from this. No, it's a gift. God gave you this element of grace. So what's the first one mentioned? Prophecy. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy means to speak forth for God. A lot of times when we think of prophecy, we think of foretelling of future events. Yes, that is an element of prophecy. But prophecy literally means to speak forth for God. So this is a gift where God uses you to proclaim His message. That's a big gift. Some of you may sit there and say, well, that's not me. Well, look at the next one, ministry. Or ministry, let us use it in our own ministering. Ministry means to serve. One place in the Bible calls it a gift of helps. I love the gift of helps, the gift of ministry. You know what the gift of helps in ministry is? It's somebody who just says, what do you need done? I'll do it. 
It's the person, when there's nothing else to do, they just grab a broom and say, I can sweep. It's the person that just says, you know what, I can clean for a while. It's the person that says, hey, I heard through the grapevine you're helping that person move. Do you need a hand? Just ministry. Just helps. They're not looking for credit. They're not looking for attention. They don't need to be in front of everybody. They just want to serve. They just want to help. What a wonderful gift that is. That word ministry literally means to serve. But it also can mean to minister to people. Maybe you come and you say, I have a real heart for fill in the blank. Widows. Can you give me a list of all the widows out here at church? That way I can contact them and pray for them. Amen. Maybe you have a real heart for for the youth. And I really want to get involved in the youth ministry to encourage them and uplift them. That's your ministry. The Lord has maybe laid a group on your heart that you really want to serve with. That's ministry. Look at the next one. He who teaches and teaching. Teaching is different than prophecy. Because teaching is taking the Bible and opening it up and proclaiming the word of God and putting it in an understandable formation so people can hear it, understand, and grow by it. Love the gift of teaching. That's my favorite one. He who exhorts an exhortation. Maybe you're just the personality that just constantly encourages everybody. You exhort, you encourage. Maybe you're the one that comes into the church and you see the new person and you go plop yourself right down beside him and introduce yourself. You're the one that wants to shake everybody's hands. You're the one that comes in and says, Lord, who's hurting today that I may go sit beside and pray with and encourage? You're the one that wants to contact the people in the hospital. You're the one that wants to write them cards. That's exhortation. That's encouragement. What a wonderful gift that is. Next one, he who gives with liberality. Maybe you're just willing to say, Lord, here I am. Take my time, my energy, my resources, in whatever way whatsoever. I have no claim on any of this. No claim. I just want to give and give and give. Next one. He who leads with diligence. Leadership is a gift. There's a lot of times out here at church we'll have a ministry idea that we think is a really good idea and really fruitful. We have people that are willing to help with it, but we don't have anybody to lead it. Lord, raise up somebody with the gift of leadership that can take care of the situation. That you know when you give them that problem, when you give them that responsibility, they will get it done. Leadership. Next one, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Maybe your gift is mercy. There's somebody who's dug a really big hole for themselves. They have made dumb choice after dumb choice after dumb choice. You're the one that says, I want to go sit and talk to them. I want to give them mercy. When they feel the whole world is ignoring them and wants to judge them. I want to come into their life and show them mercy. See, so often we think of serving in gifts. Well, sign up to clean the church, go help in the back. What about all these other things? What about the gift of encouragement, the gift of mercy, the gift of ministry, the gift of prophecy, teaching? These are wonderful, wonderful gifts that we need to focus on. And these are the ones that we need to stop and say, there's practical in here. There's also spiritual in here. The church needs both. And we need to stop and say, okay, where am I called? What am I called to do when it comes to this? Can you go with me now to Ephesians 4, please? Ephesians 4. It's amazing that if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, God is basically repeating the same message again and again. That through the Holy Spirit, you have been blessed with the gift to use to further the kingdom of God and to bless the body of Christ. Ephesians 4. The reason we push this, because we firmly believe out here that serving the body of Christ is one element in your walk with Jesus Christ. Just ask yourself, if you find yourself being a little bit stale spiritually, if you find yourself thinking there's another level to my walk with the Lord, 
Ask yourself, are you serving anywhere? How are you serving the body of Christ? See, now a lot of times we serve Jesus. Amen. Are we serving the body of Christ? God wants us to serve each other. And that's what you see. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Stop right there. Verse 1. Where were you called? What's your calling? If that's a question you can't answer, I would encourage you to go home today and spend time in prayer and fasting on that. What has God called you to do? Too often in life, we just go day by day with work, with school, with kids, with marriage, with family, with relationships. No, there is something bigger and deeper out there. What is your calling? Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is, and here's our point, one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace, there's our word again, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is now saying in Ephesians 4, the same thing he said in Romans 12, and the same thing he said in 1 Corinthians 12. As a born-again believer in Christ, you have been given a gift. A gift. Now, what are these gifts? Verse 11, these are sometimes considered title gifts. And he himself gave some to be apostles. Apostles. We talk about the apostles. Apostle means literally one who has been sent. One who has been sent by God with a divine mission, a divine calling to get out there. A disciple is a follower, a follower of Jesus. An apostle is one who has that divine calling and that divine sending to go further and accomplish the goals of Christ. Some prophets, we talked about prophecy. Some evangelists. Evangelist is a wonderful gift. Evangelist is that deep-hearted passion to see the gospel of Christ spread. Now, as Christians, we're all called to evangelize. I've had people come up to me before and said, well, I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not called to be an evangelist either. I'm called to be a pastor teacher. doesn't mean I don't spread the gospel. I have met people who are called to be evangelists. They're great. They're wonderful. I had one evangelist come up and say, you know what? I am called just to proclaim the message of salvation. Amen for that. What a great calling. Some pastors, pastor, a heart for the body, and teachers. That's what we've talked about before too. And here's the key. Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is such a key passage. My role as a pastor is to come to you and equip you to work in ministry and to edify the body of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. If you feel church is just to come, listen to worship, have some fellowship, be fed and go home, you're missing out on something. It is our job to encourage you and to uplift you, to send you out, to be a light and a witness in all that you say and all that you do. Back in Acts chapter 6, there was a spiritual focus, there was a practical focus. You may never be called to stand up in front of hundreds of people and teach out of the Bible. Fine. But you may be called to crawl underneath somebody's house and find a leak. Amen. You may not be called to crawl underneath somebody's house and find a leak. But you may be called to go back there and teach in the back. You want to do what God's calling you to do. I'm telling you right now not to just overplay this. If you have something broke in your house, don't call me. <laughs> it's not because I don't care. I do care. In fact, if you do call me, you know what I'll say? If you talk to Rich, that's probably what I'll say. And if you haven't talked to Rich, I'll probably give you Richard's number. If you can't get a hold of Rich, I'll call Rich and have Rich call you. It's not because I don't care. I care deeply. But I also know what I'm called to do. Now, if you have a Bible question, call me. 
I always tell everybody all the time, Bible questions are my favorite question calls I get all week. I love it. I love the idea of teaching and preaching. I love that. But at the same time, too, if someone calls me up and says, hey, I need a hand moving this, I'm not going to say, hey, how dare you interrupt my time of fasting and prayer. No. Let's get it out there. Let's try to help. People with a practical calling also have a spiritual responsibility. People with a spiritual calling also have a practical responsibility. The body of Christ works that way. But it works best when we do the things that God has called us to do. And that key word there is your calling. Now, I'm going to repeat myself. If you don't know what your calling is, don't take this statement the wrong way. Don't come ask me what your calling is. I can't tell you what your calling is. Only the Spirit can. That is your responsibility as a Christian to go to Him in prayer and in fasting and say, What have you laid on my heart to do? What's my calling? How can I serve? Stay here in Ephesians 4. Jump down to um, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I love verses 15 and 16. The head is Christ. The head Christ nourishes the entire body. So that way, verse 16, we can work effectively. Every part does its share. I'm not saying this to guilt you into anything. Don't take it that way. Just ask yourself, Lord, what is the share, the responsibility that you have called called me to do? Because that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When you find out what your calling is, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Don't complicate it. My calling is pretty simple. My calling is to love Dawn as Christ loved the church. My calling is to raise those five boys in Jesus Christ. And then my calling is to take care of Harvest Fellowship Church. That's my calling. What's your calling? Well, if you're married, your first calling is to be the best spouse you can be. If you have kids and that you still have a spiritual impact over, your next calling is to do what you can to encourage them and uplift them in Christ. Now, what's your deeper calling in the body of Christ? That's something that you need to seek the Lord on and find out. Because once you find that, oh, what a blessing it is. Here's the last thing I'm going to say about this. Can you go to 2 Timothy 4, please? 2 Timothy 4. Here's our last passage. I'm going to close with prayer. 2 Timothy, most people believe, is Paul's swan song, the last book that through the Spirit that he wrote. And it's written to Timothy. And it's got his final thoughts here. And, and it's got this wonderful little verse that I absolutely love. And it's 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. It says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. To me, that verse just sums up everything you need to know about Christianity. Be watchful in all things. Keep your eyes open. Some translations say be sober. Be serious about this. Keep your eyes open for what the Lord wants you to do. Endure afflictions. We've talked about this recently. Your life's going to be tough. It is. Do the work of an evangelist. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, fulfill your ministry. That's the one that trips everybody up. What's my ministry? When I say this statement, I'm not saying this once again to pick on anybody. But if you don't know what your calling is, if you don't know what your ministry is, I think that should be your primary focus in your time of devotions and prayer until the Lord reveals that to you. 
Lord, what have you called me to do? What have you asked me to minister in? Too often in life, we just go through day by day, week by week, month by month, just repeating the same things again and again. No. What is my calling? What is my ministry? Where has God called me to serve? And when he reveals that to you, by golly, you go take it with everything you got. That's what the Lord does. Here in Acts chapter 6, you see the spiritual and you see the practical. What a blessing that is. Now, concerning your calling and ministry, if you have something the Lord's laid on your heart, oh, we'd love to talk to you about that. What a blessing it is to get involved in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to come up and you want to say, I don't know what my calling is, that's fine. I'm going to tell you I'll pray for you. But that's not a question that anybody else can answer. I remember when I first got saved. I feel nearly every single guy, when he first gets saved, wants to be a pastor. just always seems to happen. So I got saved when I was 16, and I thought I was supposed to be a pastor. And that was my focus, to be a pastor. Then, as life went on and a couple years passed, I realized that that wasn't happening like I thought. I started teaching Wednesday nights out here at church. And then there was a guy involved in my life that did not come out here to church or anything like that. But for some reason, I let him have a little bit too much sway in my life. And he just made a comment to me one time. He goes, you go out to Harvest Fellowship, don't you? And I said, yeah. He goes, uh, James Crager is the pastor out there, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, I serve out there also as an assistant. He looked at me and he goes, as an assistant? And I said, yeah. He goes, you're never going to be the pastor out there. I said, why? He goes, oh, Jim's going to be there forever. He says he's got you know, boys. They're going to end up taking the ministry from him. Yeah, that's not where you're, where you're going to be. That's all he said. What a jerk. So anyway, he said this, and I don't know why I listened to him. And at that moment, I thought, he's right. Jim's not going anywhere. He's got Clint. He's got Luke. He's got, you know, that's, I'm not going to be a pastor. So all of a sudden, I changed. I ended up going to college to get a degree in finance. So that's what I did. I went up to go get a degree in finance. Because I had determined that I was not going to be a pastor. Because the practicality of it working out just wasn't there. So I went to school, started getting my degree in finance. The next thing you know, in the year 2000, Jim stepped down. And then the door opened up. And that's a whole other story within itself. The door opened up for me to come out here and be a pastor. So now I'm a pastor with a bachelor's in finance. But... <laughs> The Lord had a calling and a ministry. And to be honest, I tried talking myself out of it. It wasn't going to work out. The details didn't, whatever. This is where the Lord wants me to be. And see, the thing is, I used to think when I first got saved, when I'd run into somebody that would say, well, I know this is where God wants me, I'd smile and walk away thinking, what a cocky person. It's not cocky. It's knowing where God's called you. It's knowing that this is where God wants you to be. I can say with a clear conscience confidently i know this is where god's called me to be because that's where he's blessed me can you imagine going home to your spouse saying i'm still trying to determine if i'm called to be with you i think i am but i don't know for sure no i'm called and 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 just because i know where i'm called once again is not some egotistical thing it's lord thank you for revealing that And when the Lord shows you where your calling is and where your gift is and your ministry is and your activity is, you will be blessed, the church will be blessed, and the gospel will spread. And what a beautiful picture that is. If you don't know where your calling and ministry is, you got something to do this afternoon. Pray. Seek the Lord and let Him reveal to you what it is. And as He reveals that to you, and if you get an inkling in your heart, a spark in your spirit... Contact us. We'd love to see how it worked to work together in that and how you could bless the body of Christ. So if the worship team wants to come forward here, we'll close out with a word of prayer and then we'll let you guys go. Let's pray.